It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. This is the second week of this. If you were here before, thanks so much. If you're just joining now, welcome aboard. What we do on this podcast is talk about the college football playoff race, even though it's like, well, I don't know what it is. Is it still July? I guess it's still July. The season is right around the corner, though. We're going to do this today. We Each week, Shahan, for now, in the preseason, we discuss whether a certain team should be added to the playoff discussion. Last week, we invited Texas A&M to that discussion which automatically includes Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. So we have five teams that we are now discussing this week. Will USC, University of Southern California, will it be added to our playoff discussion? And then the second part, we rank all of our contenders in a certain category. A week ago, it was who has the easiest path to the playoff. This week, the best pass catchers on playoff contenders, receivers and tight ends, Shahan, Let's get right to it. We open with a one-minute presentation about the team at hand. Should they join the discussion or not? You are arguing on behalf of the USC fighting Trojans. Why should they join our playoff discussion? So USC, obviously, we've been waiting for them to kind of come back and, and have a season like they had under Sam Darnold for several years at this point. And I think this is the year. I, I think this is the year that we see it happen. So last year, during the shortened season, only five games, but they go four and one. They beat all of their Pac-12 South rivals. And, and really, Oregon was kind of a bad matchup for them in that Pac-12 title game. If they play Washington, I think that they're arguably Pac-12 champions. And now, on top of what they had last year, and I think they really found something with new defensive coordinator Todd Orlando, they bring in a tremendous transfer class. Several top wide receivers, several top running backs, a couple of really nice safeties, many of whom played in the state of Texas and I've had the opportunity to watch live. This is a team that is ready. This is the moment. Their schedule is very manageable. They have a marquee game on the road against Notre Dame where, you know, Notre Dame's the kind of team next year that I think will be very good, but is beatable by USC. I absolutely think that uh, that USC deserves to have a spot in this discussion. So we have been waiting for USC. And I think we still maybe should be waiting. When you look at their recruiting, it is starting to tick back up, but still there is a giant hole in this roster, which is why they brought in nine or 10 transfers in the offseason. You look at the class of 2019, which is the current third-year guys, they had the number 20 class in the country, according to 247 Sports. You look at the class of 2020, which is the current second-year guys, the number 64 class in the country. 10th in the Pac-12 that year. And when you look at the top 100 recruits in the classes of 2019 and 2020, because what we're asking is, do you deserve USC to be discussed with Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas A&M? Top 100 recruits, those two classes combined. Alabama, 22. Clemson and Texas A&M, 13. Ohio State, 11. Oklahoma, 6. USC three. So the recruiting is still a giant hole. Can they patch it with these transfers? Maybe. Can they patch it with great quarterback play from Keaton Slovis? Maybe. Can they cat patch it with great coaching from Clay Helton? Ah, right. So, <laughs> hey, Oklahoma only has six top 100 guys compared to the three for USC. They have Lincoln Riley. Right. When we, we might have an, an Iowa State discussion at some point, 
Well, Iowa State's talent, they've met Campbell. So you either have to have extreme talent or you got to have something else that's telling me how you're getting this lesser talent over the top. I don't think USC is there. Maybe they're not there. And so that's why I think right now, let's hold off on adding USC to our playoff discussion. That's how we start. We argue the pro and con like lawyers for the first minute. Now we will get into a deeper discussion about whether USC belongs here. And we have our tech subscribers, the people who are becoming friends of the show. We just call them that. Friends of Shahan. I don't... (laughs) Do I say, when I say I have no friends, I would say I have a limited number of friends. So I always say, I mean, I've done this before. We have tech subscribers. I don't want to say that it's you're paying for the right to be my friend because actually I should pay you to be my friend. So let's make it friends of Shahan and (laughs) Doug is there too. That's what we can call this group. If you want to do that, I just want to make something clear. We're we're still figuring out how this is all going to work. We may have the, the second podcast of the week which is a Q&A podcast, maybe sort of under a different um, umbrella of people. That's the one you got to pay a little bit for. But what you're definitely going to get with the tech subscription is little tidbits from us. You're going to get to vote in the survey each week. Does the team belong in? You get to ask questions. Just get to interact a little bit. It's a dollar a month, 817-442-6789. Send a text there. And now, Shahan, we're going to take a breath. We're in the second week of the show. We put out the Texas A&M show last week. We had the Q&As. That show also went up last week and I listened to it and I thought that I was on five-hour energy. I was jacked. And so I'm trying. (laughs) I don't want people to think I am a maniac, but I have to hide it a little bit better. I don't know. I don't know what your level of ego is. Mine is off the charts. So like I go back and listen to everything I say. Why wouldn't I want to hear myself say it twice? Did you listen to our show? What'd you think of the first show? (laughs) <laughs> Listen, well, I think that you were certainly the uh, the five-hour energy coming out of the thing. I think I was calm, cool, collected, tried to slow things down a little bit, tried to, you know, uh, get things back on track. But yes, I did absolutely listen to it. I thought, hey, man, I, I thought we sounded pretty good. And I, I think that based on some of the feedback we got, uh, I think people liked it. So a couple of things I just want to double check on again as we're introducing people to this show. One of the big things that that, again, I didn't exactly know about you I had heard rumblings, but then the Twitter world confirmed this. You were at Big 12 Media Days last week, and you are the best-dressed sports writer in the Big 12. This is, like, confirmed. So now you have this big national show. You're always looking sharp like Shahan. The world is coming up Shahan, is it not? <laughs> well, listen, I'm good friends with Sam Khan, who back in 2014, they uh, the Belk Bowl at the time had a big poll of the best dressed sports writer in America. And my, my good friend Sam Khan won. I was a little young to be part of that show. So I'm coming for him. I'm coming for his crown. I'm coming for his throne. And uh, listen, it, Big 12 Media Days for me is always like a family reunion, too, because of, you know, my background covering Baylor and the Big 12 for so long. And uh, so I like to show out, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Did you sign any autographs at Big 12 Media Days with the show taken off the way it is? Ooh, I had to hold people back. I'm like, just come on, come on, one at a time, single file line. You know, it was a good start, but, uh, you know, we got to get some rules on this. All right, so we are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Podcasts. We're on Spotify. I don't, I think we're working our way onto Google Podcasts. If that's where you normally listen, you can't find us there yet. We will be there soon. We have gotten some reviews already on Apple Podcasts. I wanted to read a couple. Uh, the guys compliment each other nicely, and I love the format of the show. Great listen. That's a five-star review. And then also, pretty average. This Doug guy is a pretty good commentator, but a questionable journalist. If he had information that argued against his ideas, he would ignore it. Again, pretty average, two stars. I just like to call that podcasting, Sean. Like, <laughs> oh, there's information that contradicts my point. Of course I'm going to ignore it. It's a podcast. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, listen, I, I appreciate somebody taking the time out of their day to be like, I, I got to break down the intricacies of why Doug is ignoring my point. I, I assumed that it was somebody, uh, you know, may, maybe somebody who we argued their path was a little too easy to play. I, I have no idea. But uh, listen, I'm, I'm ready to fight. Come on. I think that review is from you, Sean. This Doug guy, he doesn't listen to anybody. I don't know. All right, I'm going to, I want to tell my five hour energy story. 
very quickly, and then we'll okay. get into the case for USC. I am holding in my hand the only five-hour energy that I've ever purchased in my life. Have you have you ever taken one of these little energy drink shots? I have, I'm an older generation where if I'm tired, I'm going to drink coffee. Have you ever had one of these? So, so I love coffee. Let's just let's just preface with that. I'm a big coffee drinker, but uh, but it was perfect for when I was doing late night drives. And when you're just like, oh, I just need a little kick, I'll get one of those things. Now you don't sleep for a little while after that, but but it's good to kind of finish up that kind of thing. That's what it's been for me. So I purchased it the only time in my life that I have purchased one in December of 2010. Okay. When I was home at my parents' house in Pennsylvania, which is about six and a half hours from where I live in Columbus, Ohio. And as we were home for the Christmas holiday, word started leaking out that there was something happening with the Ohio State football team. And so we were there. I had young children. I was there with my wife. And it was like, something is happening. And we decided about midnight one night that like, we need to get back to Columbus. So we Woke up our children. We carried our sleeping children to our car. We threw them in the car. I went to a convenience store, bought a five-hour energy, and we drove from like midnight till seven in the morning back to Columbus. And that was the day, that day, Ohio State held the news conference to announce the, the tattoo scandal with Terrell Pryor. And it was like, I needed to be in Columbus for that. That was on December 23rd. It blew a hole in my Christmas and I bought this five-hour energy because I had to make that drive between midnight and 7 a.m. And it was like, I have to get there. But I made it without having to drink this. And I have it in my drunk, my junk drawer in my house. And it is a reminder. It is a reminder about like the things you have to do in this job sometimes. It expired 7-12. So it expired in July 2012. And I have it and I look at it sometimes and think, Every now and then you have to drive through the night because there's going to be a press conference. So never taken one yet, though. I'm just naturally jacked. What am I going to do? <laughs> All right, let's talk about USC. Let's talk about this program. Let's talk about whether they deserve consideration for this. And I will say off the top, Shahan, one of the things that you mentioned that always makes me nervous when you mention co- when anyone mentions college football playoff contenders, because the first question we ask here is, can they really win the national title? Now, that's not the question. We're talking about, do you deserve to be in the conversation, but can they really win the national title? Their schedule is part of their one of their pluses this year. They don't play Oregon in a crossover. They don't play Washington in a crossover. You're not exactly sure who else in their division in the Pac-12 is going to get them, maybe Utah. And then Notre Dame is like almost a perfect kind of non-conference game. Both teams are off a bye when they play each other on October 23rd. It'll it'll raise people's eyebrows if they win that game on the road, but it's not like Clemson, Georgia. It's not like Alabama, Texas A and M. But one, but when the, when your schedule is one of the things that makes people say, "Hey, you might be a contender," it makes me say, "Are you really a contender?" Like I've heard that before, like with with Wisconsin sometimes. So I can see their path, but I don't know if that really means they're a contender, Shahan. Yeah, I do think that they are a team that I'd be surprised to see win the national title. This is a weird year. Obviously, we've talked about on the last program, you know, Alabama, Clemson, uh, and Ohio State replacing a lot more than usual. But it's still hard for me, for sure, to to kind of sit down and say, okay, well, here's what's going to happen is, you know, uh, Graham Harrell's going to scheme up something that completely befuddles Brent Venables, right? Like, I don't know if if they are at that level yet. Now, again, that's not the conversation for sure. You know, this is just to get into the playoff. But... I do think that to make that next step, a lot of things have to go right. Now, I, I think that the path to those things going right is this last recruiting class, right? I mean, they're the number seven class in the country. They've got the number one player in the class in Corey Foreman. Uh, tremendous, tremendous player. I mean, you know, I, I think after 2020, a lot of people kind of ruled Clay Helton dead because of that recruiting class. And recruits seem to think so too. But this has kind of been the perfect storm of of being able to kind of have a class like that in the class of 21 and, and add so many of those transfers, a lot of whom were members of the class of 2020. So you kind of patch it up that way. But... Uh, Will they be ready in their first and second year to make USC a legit national title game? I I think it's a fair question. And the hard thing about this is I think they have a path to win the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has only been in the playoff twice in seven years. It's not like winning the Pac-12 gets you in the playoff. So 
that's that's the least they have to do. Like, I think they can do that, but I don't know exactly how that translates to a playoff bid in a world where if Oklahoma and Ohio State and Clemson do their thing and Texas A&M and Alabama and Georgia are all in the SEC as legitimate contenders, and if someone's going to jump, North Carolina jumps up or Iowa State or Wisconsin or something, like there's other people that are there. It just very much feels like USC and the Pac-12 in general is still on the outside looking in. And the teams that, you know, the two teams that have a better chance, and we may talk about them in their own episode, Oregon week two plays Ohio State, Washington early on plays Michigan. They, they have chances to make impacts earlier. Part, part of the issue for me too, is for Shahan, in, in trying to decide should we discuss them is if we don't put them in the discussion now, I'm not sure that when they're going to earn their way in because their schedule is San Jose State, Stanford at Washington State, Oregon State at Colorado, Utah, by and then Notre Dame. I don't know what they would do in their first six games that would necessarily make us put them in. But if we put them in, I also don't know what would they might do. I don't know that we'll kick them out because once the season starts, we're going to kick a team out. And we might have this... USC team sort of hanging on the edge of the discussion who's like 6-0 and and we're like, yeah, but they're not really. But we won't have a reason to kick them out. So I, d- I don't know what to do with them because I'm not sure when we're going to figure them out. And your points about the Pac-12 is well taken because you mentioned, I mean, only two times that they've been in the playoff, winning the Pac-12 in itself isn't enough. And being an 11-1 and or 12-1 and Pac-12 team also hasn't been enough necessarily with what's kind of happened on the edges. And I think that one thing that you do look at is you mentioned those non-conference games. I I don't anticipate that Oregon's going to go and beat Ohio State, but if they play them close, I think that they gain some credibility. And uh, I do think Washington could certainly go and beat Michigan, right? And so if you do have those games happen, does that at least kind of give some credibility to the Pac-12? You know, does that at least sort of have you, you know, give you a couple of extra ranked teams that maybe, you know, when you play in a Pac-12 championship game, you're playing against a top 10, top 15 type team. That's the sort of thing that I think is important for a league like the Pac-12 that that doesn't have these teams with implicit credibility. That's the thing that every other league has, right? Is they have, they have the monster, they have the behemoth and the Pac-12 doesn't have that. And so teams can't even beat that team to kind of gain credibility. So I think it, that's the big thing with USC is that sure, you know, they can do their thing and they can go, you know, 12 and one or whatever. A, a lot of other things have to happen that have nothing to do with USC for them to really have a shot. In terms of their roster, I also think their roster still might be a donut a little bit, that there's some stuff, but there's some holes. Now, I like the donuts that are like the, you know, I like the cream filled, the custard filled without the hole. So, I mean, if you're a donut without a hole, then I respect you. I think they're a donut with a hole. You look at PFF, their rankings of USC, where they rank in the Pac-12 by by position unit. They say they have the number one quarterback, Keaton Slovis. They have the number one receiver group led by Drake London. Get that. They have the number two defensive line, Drake Jackson. Who did I say? Did I say Drake London? That's not the right name, is it? It is Drake London. It's Drake London and Drake Jackson. I was like, no, I have the wrong Drake. I didn't realize I like that show Drake and Josh, but this is Drake and Drake. I hadn't. I was like, no, wait, I do have the right guy. Hey, I mean, uh, Drake and Josh takes place in California too. I guess Drake is just a very Californian thing. Drake and Drake. Okay, it's double Drake. Well, now I think they're going to make the playoff. I didn't realize they were a double Drake team. So, so they have a good quarterback, good receivers, good defensive line with Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the country, who might make an impact right away. Again, PFF running back eighth in the Pac-12. Secondary, eighth in the Pac-12. Offensive line, ninth in the Pac-12. So I think if you think they can do this, they are going to be dragged there by their passing game. And that's one of the reasons we're talking about the passing game in the second half of this podcast. We're talking about the pass catchers because USC has some guys. But particularly when you talk about Keaton Slovis, I think when you get past Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell and maybe JT Daniels, who is the guy that like Keaton Slovis made transfer to Georgia because he kind of took his job after JT Daniels got hurt. I think even maybe even just Howell and Rattler, once you get past them, I think Keaton Slovis is in that tier, right? He's more experienced than Bryce Young and DJ Uyunglele and some different guys. He was really good as a freshman. PFF said he was the second most accurate passer in the nation in 2019 as a freshman. Kind of plateaued last year. And I think if we're saying 
he he has good pass catchers, but the rest of the talent is questionable. I don't he's good. I don't know if he has drag a team to a playoff spot good. I think that's totally fair. The one thing that I'll say is the offensive line is the one thing that truly does worry me. At running back, for example, I think that they made some really good additions in Darwin Barlow and Keontae Ingram, uh, both kids from the state of Texas. And, and so I do expect they're going to be a little better there and won't have to be so pass happy all the time, right? Uh, and then defensively, you know, you do lose a key safety, but you do bring in two transfers uh, in Chris Thompson and Xavier Alford, both of whom are young guys, but were two of the top kids in the nation coming out of high school, right? And so there are pieces, right? There are tools there. The question is certainly, you know, I, you can't have the ninth best safeties or whatever, right? And and expect right. to, to make the college football playoff. You can't have the ninth best offensive line and expect to make the college football playoff. If you can, if you can get them, especially offensive line, if you can get it to like fifth in the Pac-12, I think that that changes things a whole lot for me. And I do think with some experience, with some uh, production returning, there's certainly a path for them to get better, but it has to happen pretty quickly. So I think we both kind of agree. They're not really a national title contender. And again, that's, we're talking about, can they make the playoff, but can they win the national title? No, they can't. Do we agree on that? I think we agree on that. Okay. So now we're talking about the second thing we always talk about is what's their big roadblock. I don't know that there is a roadblock on their schedule. Like, I mean, you mentioned Notre Dame. Do you think the Notre Dame game is a roadblock for them or is there any roadblock on their schedule? No, no, there certainly isn't. I mean, I, I think that you look at that Notre Dame game. Notre Dame lost a lot of production. Most of their best players are gone. They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. They're going to be breaking in a new star linebacker. They're going to be breaking in new safeties. It, it's a completely different team than the one last year that that obviously made the college football playoff. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you feel like you should be optimistic a little bit about USC is that they have both the combination of of having a name brand team, and that's a road game, uh, you know, being Notre Dame. But then you also have a pretty manageable schedule outside of that. Utah's potentially a stumbling block, but you get them at home. Uh, you know, BYU at the end of the year, you expect BYU is going to be a little better, but you know, still Arizona State. They're, I think they're going to be pretty good this year, but certainly what everything that's going on outside of the program, I think, is going to put a damper on them. And then you really just have to make it through. If you can make it through with one loss, make the Pac-12 championship game and find a way to beat either Washington or Oregon. I mean, certainly 12 and one is within reach. And certainly I think that puts you in the conversation. I wonder, I really think they might have to go undefeated to make it because I think they're going to lose every one loss comparison, right? If they have one, if Clemson loses to Georgia and then runs it and they have one loss, if if Georgia or Texas A&M, even if they're non-champs, have one loss, we've seen champs from the Pac-12 get left out again and again and again. I think they might have to be undefeated to make it. Now, I think it's not impossible for them to go undefeated, right? I mean, their toughest game probably might be that that Pac-12 championship game potentially. And again, I mean, if, if you think Oregon-Washington is be pretty good, if that winds up being a top 10 Pac-12 championship game, that's going to have some juice and it's going to give you a shot. So, I, But we don't see a roadblock in the schedule. I do think you mentioned it. I think the offensive line might be their roadblock. That they have these receivers led by Drake London and a couple other interesting guys. Their offensive line, as it's projected, looks like it might, in their starting group, have three fifth-year guys and a sixth-year guy in their starting offensive line. And again, I'm going to do this a lot when we have conversations about the best teams in the country, which is all we're going to do on this show. I am going to fall back on recruiting ratings from time to time. And by time to time, I mean constantly. Because it is about sort of a baseline of talent to even sort of enter the conversation. I know Bud Elliott is a guy who has come up with like a very uh, smart yet simple way of sort of evaluating some of this blue chip ratio how many of your players are five-star and four-star recruits compared to three-star and two-star recruits? We will reference that at times. We'll reference the 247 Sports overall talent composite ranking. We're just going to reference, I'm going to reference at least base of talent. USC, for Bud Elliott when he did this uh, about a month ago, was the last team on the list. He, had, he said 16 teams that could win it. USC was number 16 in their blue chip ratio number. But when I look at this offensive line, this matters to me. They're veteran. But there's, here were the recruiting rankings of the guys that look like the starters in their recruiting class. Individually, they were the number 689, number 427, number 366, number 942, and number 208 players in the country. In contrast, for instance, Ohio State is projected offensive line is going to have 
four guys who are top 100 national recruits, and their fifth guy is a four-year starter at tackle who is a potential All-American, who wasn't a top 100 guy. I just wonder about that. Like, I do think on the offensive line, Shahan, a lot of times there are, if you can get a fifth-year senior to slide in and fill a hole in a spot or two, that could be a great story. That's their whole line. Their whole line is like, well, they're veterans. And it's like, I just, I wonder what they're facing Kayvon Thibodeau in the Pac-12 championship game. Is that going to be good enough? And that's where I'm talking about the donut, not with the delicious custard filling. No, I actually like the cream better. The custard's the yellow <laughs> stuff. The cream, the white cream is my favorite. There's no filling here. It's just frosting, maybe some sprinkles. Listen, Drake London's a sprinkle. Drake Jackson's a sprinkle. Keaton Slovis is a sprinkle. But there's not any filling on this team. And I think that might leave them a step short. Well, I think that one thing that you can say is that you're not going to get exposed from that perspective until that Notre Dame game or even until, like you mentioned, playing Kayvon Thibodeau in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, you know, Utah maybe would be one that would be a little interesting too, but you don't get exposed right away. You have time for that to come together. And the other thing that I'll mention is that uh, I look back at 2020 Texas A&M's line. You know, they were a group that struggled in 2019, but it was continuity. It wasn't talent. I mean, this was not a very talented line outside of Kenyon Green. Now, they don't have a Kenyon Green. That's certainly a big part of it. But but continuity, communication, all that stuff just came along. I don't know if that's going to happen for USC. You can't just assume that. That's something that, you know, is kind of a rare thing to find. But it is possible. It, you know, I mean, these, these are guys who have a lot of experience, who have played together a lot. That's the path. That's the pathway is sort of that continuity and, and kind of getting to know each other as players. And you don't have to have that completely figured out until December. That That's the hope. Now, at the same time, like you said, they're not going to have the upside of other lines because of that, because of the talent. And also, I, I think, because of development. I mean, if if these are top, you know, 500 guys, but they've been developed at a really high level at USC, if USC had a track record of really doing that at a high level, like maybe you see at some other schools, this is a different conversation, but we haven't really seen that i'm looking at pff their college football preview which again is a great resource we're gonna we're gonna use great great resources on this show i mean shahan and i are gonna watch games ourselves we're gonna form our own opinions we're gonna read local beat writers we're gonna read smart national analysis and then we're just gonna talk about it in an interesting way we're not gonna pretend that we're the only people who know anything about college football they had the best routes for drake drake london the best routes that he ran last year most productive routes and second his second best route is adjusting on a scramble when you watch the best of Drake London, and I was reviewing some film, reviewing some Keaton Slovis stuff, a lot of it is not in rhythm. A lot of it is Keaton Slovis scrambling and Drake London finding a way to get open. And you can you can see that how those those two guys, those two guys are the engine. They make that work. Drake London is a monster in the middle of the field. He has a great catch radius. He's six five. He has great hands. He's tough as all get out. We'll get into that more probably when we talk about the receiver rankings of the playoff contenders. And Keaton Slovis keeps plays alive. He keeps his eyes downfield. He's got a feel for the pocket a little bit. Like he has been really accurate at times. So you can see also it's like I don't know that I'm ever going to believe in their offensive line to the playoff level, but they have an out. Right. They, they sort of have a solution to it, which is like we've got guys at both ends of our passing offense that can solve that problem. Right. And the other thing, too, is that, again, they bring in a couple of running backs. Keontae Ingram is a guy who, in high school, he cross-trained as a receiver. So he is somebody who is very comfortable working as a receiver. And I love, again, we'll get more into it uh, in the second half of the show, but I love some of the guys that they brought in. I mean, Katie Nixon is a guy at Colorado who's been a star for several years at this point. And so it's not going to be one guy this upcoming year. And last year, you know, it really was kind of built around those two guys, that, that really big connection. And I think that if you just get a little more continuity on that offensive line let Keaton Slovis make decisions uh, some people have been concerned that he regressed or plateaued uh, in his second season but I really think that adding all these weapons around him is gonna gonna be really good for him and I think that uh, you know Graham Harrell get another year in that offense I mean these are guys that Graham Harrell recruited out of high school when he was at North Texas as well right so you know he has familiarity with a lot of these guys uh, I expect big things from this passing offense and I think that a lot of the pieces that they added are going to be a big part of that We've referenced that a couple times. The number of Texas, co former Texas coaches, 
Texas high school players on this USC roster. It is kind of an odd thing going on at the moment that USC, and we know this has been an issue, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, they have been raiding the West Coast. The three highest rated quarterbacks in the class of 2020 were all Southern California guys, and they went to Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. None of them went to USC. USC has had a hard time keeping guys home. Players on the West Coast in the last three or four years of recruiting cycles have realized if I want to win a national title, I probably have to get on a plane. My family has to get on a plane. And that has blown a hole in USC's recruiting. In 2019, according to 247 Sports state rankings, USC wound up with three of the top 22 high school players in California. Three. In 2020, they wound up with one of the top 29 high school players in the state of California. Like that is... That is unbelievable. Oregon has been going in and raiding California. Washington does well in California. You know, again, Ohio State and and Clemson's been there a little bit more. Like people know this. Kendall Milton is a West, even like guys on the West Coast who aren't even necessarily from California. Anybody in Seattle or in Oregon, it's like guys are leaving. And you mentioned class of 2021, number seven in the country. They get Corey Foreman, who's the number one player in that class. But those are freshmen. And I don't know that they're going to be ready to carry this load. It, it is just stark. And I do still feel like, is there still something hanging over Clay Helton for this season? Again, again, I'm in Ohio, man. The Urban Meyer USC like stuff was hot for a while. It's a great job. Is Clay Helton the right guy? Does that hang over this season at all, Shahan? Or the fact what they did in 2021 with the top 10 recruiting class, has that quieted that a little bit, do you think? Yeah, I think that the the 2021 recruiting class is a big part of this. And I do think that you saw a bounce back that I don't think any of us expected, right? I don't think any of us expected Clay Helton the year after what he did in 2020 to have a top 10 class. And the other thing that I'll mention too is that Look, Clay Helton, uh, one of the most anonymous coaches, certainly at, at the big college football programs, but he's done a really good job, I think, in the last year or two of bringing in assistance. You know, I mean, Todd Orlando was somebody who didn't really work out at Texas, but he had showed early in his career what he's able to do. He did a really good job at Utah State. He was the reason that Houston was so good back in 2015. Uh, you know, and I think that he showed some really nice things in year one. Same with Graham Harrell. I mean, Graham Harrell was somebody that a lot of programs wanted and USC really paid out to keep him uh, at USC for another year. And so the big thing that I'll say is that there's all this talk obviously about the, you know, the pressure on Clay Helton, but I think internally in the program, it hasn't impacted them too much outside of that 2020 class. You know, you do again, have a group of 2021 kids who do trust that Clay Helton's going to be there for them long-term. Uh, and then with those Texas kids, I mean, one, one of the great hires that he's made was their uh, recruiting coordinator, Brian Carrington, who was at Texas. That's a big part of how they got so many of these Texas kids to come out to California. So it seems like at least within the program, there is a confidence that they are going to be there, that this staff's going to be there, that these players are going to be there. Uh, and I think that that's all you can ask, even if obviously I think we have to ask that question. Is that a good strategy, though, that like if you're USC and it's not going the way you want, you're like, I know what we should do. Let's take everybody from the University of Texas where they weren't getting it done. Like it's, it does seem like an odd. It's like the, all those guys wound up getting that staff, the Tom Herman staff got fired and then. There are several guys who are now at USC. I did not know that that was how you could solve your problems was by taking Texas guys. Well, I mean, hey, it's worked just fine for Ohio State to this point. But uh, I I thought you were going to say it's worked just fine for the college football playoff show. We got a (laughs) Texas guy and it's going great, man. Listen, I'm still an in-state kid. Don't 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 do all that. But uh, but no, I think that certainly if you're USC, it's so interesting to me, too. You know, I I am somebody who obviously covers the, the Texas universities and there's such pressure in the state of Texas for the University of Texas to recruit every Texas kid. I mean, you know, if they if they go in and miss a kid, they hear about it for years afterwards, right? And, and it's been interesting that USC hasn't had that same kind of pressure. Now, there's a lot of different dynamics. I also think that California kids are more likely to leave in general, just big picture. And, and I think that, you know, what once you say, I'm going to think about leaving the state and I'm going to get on a flight, it opens up the whole country to you, right? Yep. And, and I think that it's been a while since we've really seen USC really locked down the state of California. That's not really something that happens the same way as I think a Texas or a Florida or a Georgia or anything like that. And so there are different ways to build this. Certainly, like you mentioned, trying to raid Texas is, is one idea, especially when so many other programs are trying to do it. But I like the guys that they did pull out. 
Okay, we're at that point. Are we going to put them in our college football playoff discussion? Before we say yes or no, Shahan, you get a vote. I get a vote. And our subscribers get a vote. And if you want to be part of this vote, it's part of what you get for a buck a month, but it's a 14-day free trial. So you can try it out and say, I don't I mean, what, what am I paying a buck a month for? Well, you're paying to vote. You're paying to ask questions. You're paying to interact with us a little bit. 817-442-6789. Send a text there. And again, that second podcast, I maybe had misspoke about that's part of that. It's really not. There's maybe going to be something else with that. Both podcasts are free for now. I don't really understand how any of this works. I just get on and shout. I'm trying to, am I calmer? I don't know that I feel calmer. I think I might've accidentally, I drank half this five hour, this nine-year-old five-hour energy by accident. Um, call an ambulance. First, before we say what, what, what our vote is, Shahan, we say, how confident are we in that vote? Is it a high level of confidence, medium level or low level of confidence in our vote itself? I will tell you my level of confidence in my vote is low. Because I'm both concerned about letting these guys in when they don't deserve it, and I'm concerned about if we don't put them in, how are we ever going to get them in? Because what's going to be the spark to get them in? And and I can't tell. I just think if we don't put them in the discussion, we might not say the word USC until November. But I also think that might be okay. Because it's like, well, I don't know. We haven't talked about USC you know, for a long time, and they haven't deserved it. And last year, the last thing to talk about last year, five and one last year, as you said, that Pac-12 championship loss to Oregon, five and zero in the regular season, but three of those five wins were by a, less than a touchdown. 28-27 over Arizona State, 34-30 at Arizona, 43-38 at UCLA. This is going to be something that we're all dealing with this year, Shahan. What's real from last year and what's not? Teams like Penn State and Michigan and some others had really, really down years. Are those legitimate down years or was it a pandemic blip? And like USC, they went from eight and five to five and one. Is that trending up or is it just they found a way to pull out a couple games in a, in a weird season, but they're actually still an eight and five team? Like I, I, that confuses it for me. So my level of confidence in what I think is a low level of confidence. How, what's your confidence level? Yeah, I agree. It's a low level of confidence. There's just so many unknowns with this team, whether you leave them in or whether you leave them out. I, I think that certainly it comes with a lot of caveats, right? And so there, this isn't this isn't Texas A&M where you can just kind of check the box and put them in, right? Like this is, this is I think, you have to weigh all the options. And like you said, you have to weigh whether we want them to be part of the conversation. All right. I am going to vote no. I think they are being dragged by a quarterback and a top shelf receiver. I'm not sure what I think of the coaching staff. I don't want to lean too much on the schedule. I don't know that I believe that last year's five and one record was actually indicative of anything. And I still think even though they have 10 transfers and, and more than a handful of them are going to make an impact on this team. I still think there is enough of a hole in the roster from those two recruiting classes that add in, add in some good freshmen, some good first-year guys right now. I don't think it's enough. And I think to include them in a conversation with the very best teams in the country, I think they're still the tier below. And again, that's what we're going to do on the show. When you earn your way in, we're going to let you in. We're going to add you in. So maybe they'll prove it. Maybe they'll come out, you know, and and in week two, they'll blow Stanford off the field and it'll be like, okay, well, I don't know how good Stanford is, but they're in and we'll put them in. But for now, I vote no. What's your vote? I'm going to vote yes. And the biggest reason for that, you mentioned it, that you don't want to put too much into the schedule. But to me, the schedule is something that we can't ignore. It has that perfect balance of both having quality opponents, a couple of teams that may be ranked uh, either before or during the season, but also is manageable where, you know, you have that one marquee game on the road against Notre Dame, but that's a manageable game. You know, you play Utah at home, you play Arizona State, and, and I think they could be a top 25 team, but, you know, you have a chance to beat them. And then certainly in the Pac-12 championship game, you, you could have a play-in type of situation right and so I think that the schedule is manageable enough and I think that also uh, you look at the the state of I mean I think that you can't certainly ignore the state of everybody else right I mean a, a lot of rebuilding teams so there is a path in my opinion now would I pick them necessarily today to be one of those four teams I don't know but I think that they certainly have enough of a path that we should talk about them all right so when you and I are split this is where our tech subscribers make the call and we have our vote is in. And I will tell you, Shahan, that that vote is 
74% to 26%. And what do you think it is? Do you think the Texers want them in or not? I think they're out of here. (laughs) They are out. USC Trojans, you are not in the college football show playoff discussion. Sorry. That's how it goes, man. So listen, all that Drake London research that you did for the pass catcher segment we're going to do now, set it on fire. (laughs) Set it on fire. I could not wait to talk about Brew McCoy, and now I'll never get the chance. We can slide them in. We can do it. Well, we want to put them in. So at the moment, we still have five teams that we are considering college football playoff contenders. Texas A&M made it last week. USC does not make it this week. In the future, we will talk about teams like Iowa State and Cincinnati and Georgia and Notre Dame and some other teams. Maybe Oregon, maybe Washington. Maybe there will be a Pac-12 team. But again, I'm not – listen, I'm going anti-demographics. Like, hey, L.A., LA, we just lost every LA listener we had. I mean, we had like hundreds of thousands of people in Los Angeles ready to lined up to listen to the show. And the texters and I just just kicked him out, Sean. I mean, come on, we're gonna talk about UCLA, right? Come on, Chip Kelly, he's been to the national title. Or well, no, I guess Mark Helfrich has been to the yeah, I guess Chip Kelly did go to the national title game. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, they lost. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know people are juiced about UCLA. Again, I don't know. I mean, if you know, we probably need listeners, so I probably should not be shutting out gigantic cities. Um, so maybe the, maybe they'll work their way back in. Maybe they'll work their way back in, but not yet. When we come back on the other side, college football playoff show, we'll talk about the five contenders that we do have. Who has the best pass catchers next on the college football playoff show? Douglas Maurice back with Shahan J. Haraja. Again, most places where you get podcasts, you can find us. If you want to drop reviews on Apple Podcasts, we'll read a couple each week. I'm not asking for negative reviews, but I have a tendency if you rip me, I'll probably read it. Uh, and make sure you're following us on Twitter at CFB Playoff Show. On Twitter, we'll tweet out the links to the show there. You know, maybe I'll grab a photo of Shahan looking sharp, put that out there. Um, if we do a college football playoff show calendar, at some point, it's going to be 11 months of Shahan, and I'll be like, February. It'll be fully like one clothed, month of me. Fully clothed. Let's just, let's just make sure that's the case. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're all – everybody's in a winter coat, even in the July photo. Um, all right, let's talk about the pass catchers now. So now what we're going to do, we're going to talk about – we're going to rank Texas A&M, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Who has the best group of pass catchers? Shahan, I thought there was a clear bottom and a clear top. And a muddied middle. So we always start from the bottom. Who did you have number five on your list of our five playoff contenders? Who has the fifth best group of pass catchers? For a team that is known so much for their coaches' offensive prowess, I don't think that Texas A&M gets enough attention for how inconsistent their wide receivers have been. You know, last year, we, we talked so much about Kellen Mond and what he did, but that group did not separate themselves. You know, you had one game with Caleb Chapman before he tore his ACL where he kind of went off against Florida, but otherwise this was very much a running team that struggled to pass the ball because of their receivers uh, struggling to get separation. And I think you look at them versus those other four teams. Certainly you have some, some recruits coming in that you feel very good about. They are a team that certainly needs a lot more from their receivers if they're going to be a playoff contender. So you have them fifth. Do you think there's upside there, though? Like, do you think, do you see, I mean, they have a couple dudes, right? Don't they have a couple dudes in the room? Do you think it could come together with Haynes King in like another year of, of being asked to do this? Or do you think the questions linger? I don't know that they could do enough to jump any of these other teams is the short answer. Now, I do think that uh, last year in their last recruiting class, they got a kid named Damon Demas, who was a five-star prospect. They got a kid named Moose Muhammad, who was a four-star prospect. They've got some guys like Jalen Press, and they've got Caleb Chapman coming back. But I don't know that we can expect that group to compete with some of these top teams in the country. And I do think Haynes King is a little bit more of a gunslinger. I I, I do think that maybe we'll see a little bit more deep passing than we saw previously. But at the same time, I mean, Jimbo Fisher asked a lot of his wide receivers. And so far, I don't think they've delivered. Were they clearly fifth to you? Yeah, yeah, far and away. Interesting. Because, again, maybe I'm leaning on it too much. Like, Demas was a five-star in the class of 2020, 25, number 25 overall player in the country, number three wide receiver. And 
we're going to have like battles. We're going to have discussions about recruiting stars on this podcast. I'm going to lean on them more, I think, than you are. I don't see necessarily a guy like that on Alabama that I believe in. I have Alabama fifth. John Mechie is a good player, but there is a hole in Alabama's receiver recruiting. In the classes of 2017 and 2018, 2017, Jerry Judy, number three receiver, number 21 player. Devontae Smith, number nine receiver, number 62 player. Henry Ruggs, number 11 receiver, number 75 player. And then in 2018, Jalen Waddell, number five receiver, number 39 player. Those were four receivers. They had one other receiver in there too. But so in, in, in two recruiting classes, they had five receivers who were ranked in the top 100 players in the country. Four of them became first round NFL draft picks. They drove this, the last two years of Alabama football was driven in a lot of ways by their receiver play. Class of 2019, John Mechie was their highest ranked receiver recruit, number 275 player in the country. Class of 2020, highest ranked receiver recruit, number 144 in the country. Now, this 2021 class, they have four receivers who are ranked among the top 100 in the country, top 100 players in the country. This 2021 class is like the 2017 class. But guess what? In 2017, those guys didn't carry the team as true freshmen. Because in 20, in there, it, they had other guys who could do that. They had Calvin Ridley who could carry that team. And then they, Devontae Smith had a big catch in the national championship game. But those guys, none of those young guys as freshmen had more than 14 catches that year. It's John Mechie. It's a couple other guys. They bring in Jamison Williams. It's a transfer from Ohio State who's going to play for them. It's a it's a big drop-off. And you can see it in the recruiting and and I just think when you look at everybody else, they they just don't even have a guy. I think like Demas, who like who's who like you're curious about. Like I think we know what John Mechie is. He's a good deep threat. I think Jamison Williams is better as a deep threat than anything else. I just think it's a little bit of a hole, and it's not like Alabama's not going to be good. I just think compared to what they've been, and then compared to what Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State have, I just don't think it's. I think they're not close to those other three. I guess you would know Texas A&M better if you think Bama's receivers are better than Texas A&M, but it's surprising to see. I just, to look at an Alabama roster and see any kind of dip is surprising. And there's a dip at receiver right now. Sure. And I think that's certainly, I mean, when we start looking at 2021 Alabama, I mean, this is the first year, like you mentioned, that they haven't had just an all world receiver, like an all time type receiver on the roster, much less multiple of them, obviously in some of those years, Uh, you, you know, look, I think that the hype around Demas is real. At the same time, the kid hasn't played uh, really in a football game since he was a junior in high school. He had to sit out his entire senior year. He basically didn't play all of last year on a Texas A&M offense that did struggle at times passing the ball. So listen, is there a chance that he comes out and does all the things that we expected him to do? There's certainly a chance. But at this moment, and this is, I, I don't want to, you know, to, to knock against the kid. The most impressive thing I've seen DeMond Demas do on a football field is do a backflip. That at this point, that's still, uh, you know, the most impressive thing I've seen him do. And I think that with that Alabama group, like you mentioned, Mechie to me is better by quite a bit than anybody on Texas A&M's roster. And I think that with this group, I mean, you have four top 100 kids, three top 50 kids, uh, Jojo Earl from Alito, one of them who was just a monster <laughs> winning a couple of state championships for Alito. I think that you can expect that at least one of those guys is going to be a contributor. And then you have the Ohio State transfer to kind of back it up. So I think you've got a threesome there that you can feel okay about. Now, they're not going to be Devontae Smith. They're not going to be Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, all those guys. But I don't think they need to be that to still be a very good room. 2017 Alabama, Calvin Ridley, 63 catches for almost 1,000 yards. No other receiver had more than 14 catches. Mm. So they just they just leaned on all one guy, a, a stud, and then they worked in those young guys. I don't know that they can – I don't think John Mechie is Calvin Ridley, which, yeah. is not a, which is no slam, right? And so I just don't know that – I think – I think Betsy like might be like a really good number two, but I don't know that they have a number one. Well, I, and then I don't I don't know if these younger guys are ready to do that. Yeah, well, one thing that I will mention though is that I think that Bryce Young as a passer is much different than Jalen Hurts is too. I think that this offense Correct. is going to be very different. So, you know, listen, they need some guys to develop, but they also have time. I, I don't think that there's a team that's also going to sort of take advantage of that early in the year. So I had Alabama fifth, Texas A&M fourth. You had Texas A&M fifth. Where did you did you have Bama fourth or where did you have Bama? Yes, I had Bama fourth. 
Okay, so we have fifth and fourth. Who do you have third then? Yeah, I, I have Clemson third. I think that's there. I think that for me, that top two is a special top two. Now, you know, Oklahoma, I think, uh, you know, this isn't their best receiver room, but I do think that Clemson, you know, they, they do bring back Justin Ross, I believe. And so, you know, they're going to have some studs in that room. But I mean, at the same time, you lose a couple of mainstays as well. You lose a star quarterback that I think is certainly going to impact that no matter how good we think that DJ Uyelongalele is going to be. Uh, you know, I, I think that it, for me, they're a pretty cemented number three room. Justin Ross coming off a full year being away is tough, but it did allow some other guys to get some snaps last year. Joseph Ngata is a guy I think that a lot of people have high hopes for, but there's not a lot of proven dudes. Their tight end's pretty good. Braden Galloway, I think is, I mean, he's a little bit of a threat. I also had them third. I think that's right. I do think Oklahoma and Clemson are kind of close because I'm, I don't know. I think I might believe I think, feel like I've seen more from Justin Ross individually than maybe I've seen from any individual Oklahoma guy. You have to take the injury, you know, coming off what he missed last year a little bit into account, but he, sh- he should be fine. But Oklahoma has just like a bunch of options, right. right? Including a guy who hasn't really done anything yet, but was the number one receiver recruit in the country. Right. And, you know, and just to, to close out with Clemson for me, too, I mean, they lose what their top three receivers right from last year. Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell and Travis Etienne at running back was also their third receiver. Yeah, they, they, they do not have much coming back. I mean, again, Ross from the year before was one right. of their leading receivers. So you, you, he, he is just a weird wrinkle a little bit to count that. But yeah, and again, we're talking pass catchers. You've got to take into account Travis Etienne, who was as good of yes. a pass catcher as a running back as we've seen in college football in recent times. But yeah, to lose to lose Rodgers and Powell. And even, even Rodgers and Powell, I think, in the litany of Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, like just guys that you saw at Clemson who just were absolutely – Sammy Watkins set Ohio State secondary on fire eight years ago. (laughs) I'll never forget the game he had in that Orange Bowl in 2013. They're just guys – you know, they didn't have that last year. You know, that's like Amari Rodgers wasn't that. So to get Justin Ross back, if he can be more that kind of guy, I do think – but yes, they lost a lot from last year and they're playing a young quarterback. All right, so we both have Clemson three. We both have Oklahoma two. Yes, yes. And so that group, I mean, again, they, they've got a very special group. Uh, you know, Marvin Mims, he he was actually named our Mr. Texas football uh, as the best you know player in the state of Texas coming out of high school. And he really showed it in a big way for this Oklahoma offense. But, you know, he's not the only guy that they have. Like you mentioned, I mean, they have, uh, you know, a lot of good recruits coming in as well. They got uh, Theo Weiss is a guy at receiver who had a big season last year. And I think that they have one of the best pass catching tight ends in the country and Austin Stogner as well. I mean, this is a group that has done big things already and, and they've recruited at a high level too. And they also have the benefit of being passed to by Spencer Rattler. I think that you certainly have to take that into account as well. He's going to have options. And I think they have enough guys that they're all going to make each other better because I don't know that they're, do we know for sure? Like who's going to be their best receiver? I mean, like they have, again, this, this class of 2019, the guys who are in their third seasons now, Garrett Wilson was the number two receiver in that recruiting class. He's at Ohio State. But Oklahoma had the number one and number three receivers in that recruiting class. Jaden Hazelwood, like, hasn't really done much yet. Theo Weiss has been good, but, like, there's upside with both of those guys. And then you throw in Marvin Mims, who was forced to do a lot last year. Like, there's just, you have, like, potentially four or five guys, I think, that you can believe in who will all, I think, make each other better. And Spencer Rattler is going to make them all look great. Right. I do think that you can trust that Marvin Mims is going to continue to be the top guy in that room. He's not the most physically impressive of the bunch, but he's just a good football player. He's somebody who runs great routes. He's somebody who gets great separation. He's somebody who can high point the ball. And we really got to see that last year with him as a true freshman. I expect even bigger things uh, with him as a sophomore. And and like you mentioned, I mean, Jaden Hazelwood is a guy that we haven't seen kind of have a a breakout moment as yet. Theo Weiss was also a five-star wide receiver. I mean, this is not a talent issue in this Oklahoma room. This is is, you know, an experience question. And you do have some guys also coming in in 2021 who are top of the line. And and also, yeah, I mean, they, they play in as receiver-friendly an offense as you're going to find in college football. So I would say I feel like Oklahoma and Clemson are going to have enough to do what they want to do. Yes. That they, they, 
their receivers aren't going to hold them back at all. And their receivers might help get them over the top, but like they're, they're going to be good. I do question if Bama has enough to do what they want to do. And I think you've made some good points about Texas A&M. Again, they have some talent, but have we really seen it? So I think I definitely Clemson and, and Oklahoma are a tier to me. Texas A&M and, and Alabama are a tier below that to me. And then I do think Ohio state is a tier up. Yeah. Do yeah. you think that Ohio State in this ranking is a tier to itself above Oklahoma, who we have at number two? Or do you think Oklahoma and Ohio State are pretty close? I think that you could argue that Ohio State is a tier to its own. I think that you could argue that Oklahoma is a tier to its own above Clemson as well. Okay. And so, but Ohio State, clearly, clearly, clearly the number one team on this list. This is actually my grievance section where I complain that Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba both left the state of Texas, but you know, whatever. And then Chris Olave also being another guy at receiver. I mean, I think that you could argue that Olave and Smith, uh, or and Wilson rather, both have an argument to be the best overall receiver in the country. And to have both those guys playing in the same offense, I understand they're going to have a new quarterback, but that, I mean, that's scary. Yeah, Olave was surprising that he chose to stay at Ohio State, had a chance to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Most places, PFF, when they've been doing their rankings offseason, their top two receivers in the country are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is a top 50 national guy. He's a sophomore from Texas. He's the reason Jamison Williams transferred to Alabama because Jamison Williams transferred last year. Garrett Wilson played the slot last year with Olave and, and Jamison Williams outside. They've moved Garrett Wilson back outside. They're going to play Jackson Smith, the Jigba in the slot. And then they have they have the, Jackson Smith the Jigba was a top 30 guy in the class of 2020. The number one receiver in the class of 2020 is like their fourth receiver, Julian Fleming, who didn't do a lot last year. And then they have two true freshmen. They have the number one receiver in the country among freshmen, Emeka Egbuka from Seattle, who looked good in the spring. And then they have Marvin Harrison Jr., son of the legend, who also looked good in the spring, who's a top 100 kid. The depth of their receiver room is stunning. And they're not going to have enough footballs to go around. But Olave and Wilson are legit. I think they have a good chance to be the first two receivers off the board in the NFL draft next year. And Smith the Jigba is a breakout candidate. And when you look at those guys, Chris Olave, San Diego. Jackson Smith the Jigba and Garrett Wilson, Texas. Julian Fleming, Pennsylvania in Penn State's backyard. And Ohio State won that recruiting battle. Marvin Harrison Jr., Philadelphia. Emeka Egbuka, Seattle. Caleb Burton, who's a recruit they have, Texas. They are These are not Ohio guys. This is not Ted Ginn Jr. coming down the road to play at Ohio State. They are recruiting nationally, and they are getting the best receivers in the country, and they have the best receiver room in the country. Right, and I think that you you look at that group, the, the thing that's most special about it is that you have both the proven commodities, you have the experience, and you also have the guys who are coming up. So, you know, that's that's the platonic ideal of a wide receiver room is what Ohio State has. And uh, and certainly, again, no matter who starts at quarterback, they're going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, if they are driving Ohio State's national championship run, it's being driven by that receiver room. Brian Hartline, the former Ohio State receiver, uh, former NFL receivers, their receivers coach is, is doing that recruiting and they're the best in the country. And, and I think it is fair. You look at the the last couple national champions last year, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, even though he was hurt, John Mechie, like they helped drive Alabama the year before, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson for LSU. They're driving LSU. 2018 Clemson, Trevor Lawrence has a freshman, T Higgins and Justin, Justin Ross, that receiver room, they're driving it. Do you need great receivers to win a national title? We always talk about quarterback, but you, and again, well, does the quarterback just make your receivers great? He helps, but you need real talent there too. Do you have to have great talent at receiver to win it? Yeah, I mean, I think that you need to be able to score at a high level. And I think that even the, the way that the game is moving, you know, it's it's historically been such a run first and, and kind of build around that. And I think that we're reaching a point with the level of receiver play in this country that that you almost have to win outside first to open up everything else, you know. And, and so I think that certainly to be able to keep up with some of these top teams, that's, that's one reason that Georgia has yet to win a national championship. That's one reason that I think Texas A&M is going to have to open things up a little bit more in order to win a national championship, uh, you know. Alabama deciding that they were going to do this, I think has completely changed the sports and, uh, and Ohio state, Alabama and Oklahoma have recruited at a crazy level when it comes to receiver. All right. So those are our rankings. Again, Shahan had Texas A&M five, Alabama four, 
Clemson three, Oklahoma two, Ohio State one. I had Alabama five, Texas A&M four, Clemson three, Oklahoma two, Ohio State one. So we agree uh, with our top three, and we definitely agree that Ohio State is on the top of that list. We will be back to wrap up the college football playoff show with a little, you know, getting personal. Next with Doug and Shahan. Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Again, if you want to get in on the tech subscriptions, get to vote, get to ask questions, 817-442-6789. Each week, we have this pod where we invite a team or not. Sorry, USC. We rank the teams. That's what we do on this pod. And in the second pod, we take questions from our tech subscribers. But right now, we ask each other questions as Shahan and I are on the path to becoming, I don't know if I'd say best friends. You're already married, right? You're married already? I am. I am. So it, it's too late for me to get an invite to your bachelor party or something, right? So <laughs> It's a little late. <laughs> All right. Then I don't even know if I care about this. I'm, just, I'm 47. I just try to get to bachelor parties at this point. Um, all right. But we have a question. I asked Shahan a question last week. What was the best game that you ever saw or ever covered in college football? Now it's your turn, Shahan. What you got? So when you were a kid, I know, back when there were black and white TVs and all that, uh, who was your favorite athlete growing up? Who was your first favorite athlete, in fact? My first favorite athlete. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. So I grew up rooting for Philadelphia teams. And I was a big baseball fan. I'm definitely not as much of a baseball fan anymore. I think I'm indicative of, of a lot of people. It's just Society has changed. The game has changed. But I love Mike Schmidt. So the Hall of Fame third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. I had his poster on my wall and I had Dr. J on my wall playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I can remember um, in 1980, can we cut? I mean, is that going to draw listeners? Hey, this guy's telling stories from 1980. Wow. (laughs) Let me tune into that. In 1980, they had a thing where they used to have like this battle of the network stars kind of thing on TV where they'd have like actors doing like tug of war and obstacle courses and stuff. So they did it with sports teams. And that year, the Phillies reached the World Series and won it. And the Philadelphia Eagles made the Super Bowl and lost to the Raiders. But they somehow got the players to do like this battle of the network stars kind of thing. So it was the Phillies against the Royals and like tug of war and sack race and obstacle course. And then it was the Raiders against the Eagles in these things. And the Phillies won and the Eagles won. And then they pitted them against each other. And it was like battle of the sports stars, tug of war, obstacle course, the battle of Philadelphia. And I was like seven years old and I thought it was the greatest thing that ever (laughs) happened. I was like all my favorite guys doing a sack race together. Can I watch that like a hundred times in a row? So that was me uh, back in the day. And then I grew up, um, you know, Penn State won the national title in 82 and then again in 86 when I was a kid. So like, I remember that, you know, like I went, I went to the airport, like to, to greet them when they came back after winning the national title the one year. So like, that was, you know, I was part of it. That was a college football team down the road. And so that was who I rooted for. Very cool. Very cool. Well, for me, uh, you know, unfortunately I was not around in 1980 to see it, but, uh, but my favorite sport growing up was basketball. I was a huge NBA fan, still a huge NBA fan, by the way. Uh, and for me, the guy who like changed it all was Shaq. Oh my gosh. That guy, Mm. he was, he was just something else, right? Like you just watched him and you did not know what was going to happen because I think the people in, in growing up and obviously covering sports now, you see some giant guys, some huge, huge, huge people in this profession. And to see somebody who made those giant people look like kids was just unbelievable. So I, I grew up, I mean, really that's that first, uh, you know, that first run for the Lakers where they win titles from 2000 to 2002. I mean, that was just, that was just next level. Now I, I will say, did not convince me to become a Lakers fan. I am a Chicago Bulls fan because I was born in Chicago and left when I was very young and did not want to be a Dallas sports fan. And so, but, uh, but mm. Shaq was that guy for me. I was covering uh, an NBA game one time and went into the locker room before the game when Shaq was in there and I was wearing my credential around my neck and it's just, he was just Shaq being Shaq and he was like, how do you say that last name? <laughs> and I was like, he was like, Lesmerizes. And it was like Shaq was just like just staring at my credential trying to say my last name for like a minute. 
It was like, that's just Shaq being Shaq. I was like, you can just, I don't, you can call me whatever you want. I'm just some guy standing here. So I'm he Doug. is a large human being. Yeah. Hey, Shaq, just call me Doug, man. Come on. Just Doug and Shaq hanging out. All right. So you're a Shaq guy. I'm a Mike Schmidt guy. I mean, Mike Schmidt's like, he played baseball in 1980. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's, he's like a great grandfather now. Um, but he like, yeah, he had a great batting stance. So, that's the college football playoff show. We appreciate you guys appreciate you guys being part of it. Again, if you want to do the little tech subscription, it's just like a little di- a little way to be a little added bonus. And if you listen to this and you liked it, tell a friend, right? I mean, we're trying to get it out to the world. Um, you know, I mean, I'm banking on Shahan's style and handsomeness of kind of carrying us for a little while. I mean, if you could get, I don't know, there's there paparazzi in Texas that like, could you be captured like walking down the street looking really sharp or something and that would get us some publicity? Uh, no. Oh, that will not happen. Okay. Well, then I guess we just have to go by our content. Good luck with that. Um, thanks to you guys for being part of it again next week. We'll do another team. We'll do another ranking in a different category. We'll keep doing that as our work away, as we work our way towards the season. And then once we get into the season, we'll add a team or maybe add a team each week, and then we'll kick a team out. But we're not kicking anybody out yet. USC, you were not kicked out. You just didn't make it. So sorry about that. Don't forget, we also have that second podcast that's still free at the moment for everybody. It's the Q&A. And again, those tech subscribers can ask questions if you want to do that. Again, you've listened this long. Why not try this for two weeks for free? And then it's a dollar for a month. 817-442-6789. No risk. If you don't like it, just cancel. And we appreciate you guys trying that out. But then still listen, even if you don't do the text. All right, that's it. For Shahan Jayaraja, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was the College Football Playoff Show. 